following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It Podcast with Brittany Page and Jesse Dallimore. Welcome to the show, everybody. Episode 862 of I Doubt It Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Dollimore, and I'm joined today by your host, Brittany Page. I just finished watching the White House Correspondents' Dinner Mm. with Roy Wood Jr., who is the comedian, and uh, President Biden obviously gave his speech and did a few jokes, and I thought thought it was pretty good. It's nice getting back to it. I think it happened last year, too, right? Yeah, but I mean, it's kind of back in full form. Remember, the last time that it was, the way I remember it, was Michelle Wolf Mm -hmm. during the Trump administration. And then they, uh, the media freaked out about it even. Mm -hmm. like Guys like Jeff Zeleny from CNN and Margaret... Talev, I think her name is. She was the the president of the White House Correspondents Association. And they were up and on. Oh, this is so inappropriate. And it hasn't been inappropriate for 50 years. And then all of a sudden, because Trump was a, a, a little baby, couldn't handle any jokes, mm-hmm. they went a different direction. Anyway, I'm, <laughs> I'm airing my grievances because it irritated me a lot. But it was nice because you've got a president who's not afraid of some jokes about his age, about whatever. He was laughing along the whole time. Yeah, well, it says a lot about a person and a leader who can't sit in a room and have a few jokes made about you and laugh along. And I mean, Donald Trump, that whole situation where the media really protected him and took up for his administration and acted like Michelle Wolf went too far in certain jokes about Sarah Huckabee Sanders, which just was not the case. She did not go too far. Yeah. It, it, I, I mean, I don't, I don't remember the specifics anymore, but I know there were comments about or jokes about her lying and using the ash to do, create a smoky eye, commenting on her makeup and I think people took it to mean that, like, Michelle Wolf was commenting that Sarah Huckabee Sanders was unattractive, which, like, you know, don't project your own feelings about Sarah Huckabee Sanders onto Michelle Wolf's joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it, it was just a bummer because it did turn into the media kind of protecting Donald Trump from jokes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when the entire motivation of the evening is a good time in telling jokes at everybody's expense everybody the media is yeah. uh, is under fire the president of the united states is under fire politician it's it's a joke night everybody I, I, anyway we do have a couple clips here yeah uh we should play them and there's one of of joe biden and then there's like three of of roy wood jr and <laughs> it, it is well one i don't know that we'll ever have Someone as adept at making jokes and with the comedic timing as Obama. He mm-hmm. was, I mean, really, he set the bar really high. Yeah. But uh, Joe Biden, it, this should dispense with any talk of him being senile or of diminished capacity cognitively. He's He's got it together. You wouldn't be able to tell jokes, even ones that are written for you and crafted for you, you wouldn't be able to tell them with any ability if you were diminished. Listen to this from Joe Biden. Well, the truth is, we really have a record to be proud of. Vaccinated the nation, transformed the economy, earned historic legislative victories and midterm results, but the job isn't finished. I mean, it is finished for Tucker Carlson. <laughs> What are you wooing about like that? Like, you think that's not reasonable? Give me a break. Just give me a break. Look, like I often say, don't compare me to the almighty, compare me to the alternative. It's good. Yeah, I mean, the crowd 
groaning about Tucker Carlson, who got fired from Fox News. Which there was is, some clapping. There was some applause. Yeah, I mean, it's it's great news all around. <laughs> yeah. We don't need to pretend like we're sad for Tucker. Yeah. And he's going to be fine. He has mountains of money, including he's, Swanson money. Yeah, he's, he's got he's the gonna be fine. <laughs> Unfortunately, he's going to be fine. Yeah. Yeah. So Roy Roy Wood Jr. was the was the the host uh, from the Daily Show, and listen, there's been uh, a string of super talented individuals to have this job to host this this event, and he's just another in a long string of fantastic comedians who did a good job. Uh, this first clip is when the exchange happens, where Joe Biden leaves because the president speaks first. Which sometimes is a nightmare for comedians, like uh, ones where he's stealing the thunder. And if you're not on your game, you're going to be outdone by the president. That wasn't really the case here. But when they exchange and the president goes to sit down, Roy Wood Jr. goes to, to take the podium, he makes a joke about something that's in the news and that is sensitive to everybody. Yes, sir. Go give it up for Dark Brandon. I'm happy to be here. Oh, real quick, Mr. President, I think you left some of your classified documents up here. You can get to them. Yeah. Yeah, no, don't give them to him. I'll put them in a safe place. He don't know where to keep them. I'm a... happy to be here, though. That I like. Because, one, it, he's speaking to something that is true. Mm-hmm. Joe Biden's um, seeming inability to secure classified and sensitive information just like Donald Trump except there wasn't maliciousness on the part of Joe Biden it was just an accident still not a good excuse somebody of a of a different station would be <laughs> possibly prosecuted for it um this next one though is fantastic because it deals with the age issue which is hot and it's on uh every journalist's headline right now mm-hmm what is odd about it is, and I think Biden made reference to this earlier. We don't have a clip of it, but that they point out Biden's advanced age, but they don't ever talk about Trump's because Trump is, it's also just a bunch of septuagenarians, mm-hmm. a bunch of old dudes mm-hmm. who want to run the country rather than passing the baton to the next generation. And uh, if it's not a problem for Donald Trump, it's absolutely not a problem for Joe Biden live in, I look around this room and I see people that are hard working. Many of you, I don't even think you should be working that hard. We should be inspired by the events in France. They rioted when the retirement age went up two years to 64. They rioted because they didn't want to work till 64. Meanwhile, in America, we have an 80-year-old man begging us for four more years of work. Begging. Begging. <laughs> Let me finish the job. That's not a campaign slogan. That's a plea. <laughs> Let me finish it. Let me finish it. I do, I do wish you the best of luck on the campaign trail, Mr. President. Um, you got a lot of things that you're going to have to navigate, a lot of hurdles. You've had quite a few scandals, you know. We know know about the documents, we know about the laptops, but there's been no scandal more damaging than the scandal of, is Joe Biden awake? (laughs) Hey, say what you want about our president, but when he wake up from that nap, work gets done. (laughs) He might doze off with an infrastructure bill. (laughs) Mm, mm, Student loan forgiveness. What I like about this is they cut to Biden laughing his ass off the entire time. Yeah. Which is the way it should be when you have a mature person in the office of president. Yeah. Well, and when you were talking about the ages of different people running, Donald Trump, 76, Biden, 80. Yeah. Marianne Williamson, 70. I think Robert uh, Kennedy is 69. Old. Old. Also anti-science, anti-vax nut. But, you know, that's 
Neither here nor there. Mm-hmm. Listen, it wasn't, though, just uh, the targets of the comedian's ire wasn't just, or jokes, wasn't just uh, the people in the room, the journalists. It wasn't just politicians. It was also Clarence Thomas. And this is the last clip we're going to play. And I think it is fantastic. And it really illustrates the use of humor to cut right through an issue, talking about something very serious and very real but using humor to do so. You are trying to erase black people, and a lot of black people wouldn't mind some of that erasure as long as that black person is Clarence Thomas. (laughs) Billionaire named Harlan Crow is flying Clarence Thomas all over the world on unreported trips like an Instagram model taking Clarence... To the Maldives and the beaches and all. Pay for his mama's house, this billionaire. Pay for Clarence Thomas' mama's house. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta give it up to billionaires. Billionaires, boy, y'all, y'all are relentless. Y'all, y'all always come up with something new to buy. Like, just when you think of everything you could buy on Earth, a billionaire will come up with a new thing. Y'all can buy space rockets, you bought Twitter. This man bought a Supreme Court justice. Do you understand how rich you have to be to buy a Supreme Court, a black one, on top of that? There's only two in stock. And Harlan Crow owns half the inventory. We can all see Clarence Thomas, but he belongs to billionaire Harlan Crow. And that's what an NFT is. So anyway, good stuff all around. It's nice to see the White House Correspondents' Dinner uh, back in full effect with an audience of mm, tepid laughing journalists and (laughs) fully laughing uh, Republicans. What's interesting about it is last night, while we were waiting for this to come on, we watched a few others... And I, I noticed something specific that uh, there was a member of Congress in earlier years when Trump wasn't president. Daryl Issa is his name. Mm. And he was laughing. He was so much. He was just really enjoying himself. And then we watched the the last one with uh, Hassan Minaj. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't laughing. He was, he was this dour, uh, miserable... Uh, sourpuss on his face I think in service to Donald Trump to signal to Donald Trump I'm with you I'm here but I'm not having a good time mm. and it really is it's it's illustrative of exactly what the Republican Party is right now it's all in service to even if it's just performative for what is going to stroke Donald Trump's ego and it's nice that we don't have to do that anymore or you know hopefully anymore mm-hmm. 2024 is yeah <laughs> still 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 a thing. Oh, so. God. Uh, anyway, uh, that is great. We'd love to hear from you. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Before we move on to a li- little listener communication, we want to thank our patron... Our patrons on Patreon. So we want to thank our new Patreon supporters, John D.L. John D.L. B.D.G. B.D.G. Joshua P. Senior. Joshua P. Senior. (laughs) Rachel S. Rachel S. Chuck W. Chuck W. Marilyn S. Marilyn S. And Hollywood. (sighs) Hollywood. Yes. Thank you to our new Patreon supporters. And then we want to give a shout out to Patrick M. Patrick M. Patrick M. Increased the pledge, which is very kind. Thank you so much. And also a shout out to Isaac M., who said we didn't need to shout out Isaac M., but the the payment method got updated and Patreon registered them as a new Patreon supporter. So you know what? We got an email. Isaac M., we won... We don't need to be told how to do the show, <laughs> even from patrons. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So keep your bossiness to yourself, Isaac. <laughs> All right? Oh. All right. Okay. <laughs> message received, I think. I think the message is received. Uh, thank you all so much. 
uh, if you're on the fence or have been on the fence, but you're you're ready to pull the trigger and become a patron, help support the show, help produce the show, you can go to patreon.com slash I doubt it podcast and uh, take part there. We would appreciate it very much. Every little bit goes a long way. Uh, as we say, if we're able to marshal the size of our audience and if two or three percent or 50 percent of the audience were to give, we could fundamentally change this uh, operation. Anyway, let's get to some listener communication before we move on. Uh, I think we have a couple of emails. Actually, I think we have a voicemail that we should start with. That's, that's, it's probably better because mm-hmm. it's, it's, uh, th- the caller thinks it's a very serious matter. Yeah. But, uh, I'm not quite convinced. Jesse, hi. Um, I've watched some of your YouTube videos. For as much as you talk about transphobia, I have a challenge for you. How about you make a video in the next few days answering the following question? What is a woman? I will say that again. I want you to answer the question, what is a woman according to you? Mm. If you are going to call Matt Walsh such a transphobic bigot, the least you can do is answer that question. Tell us whether or not your chromosomes are relevant Tell us if not having ovaries, a uterus, fallopian tubes, and a cervix is relevant to make you a woman by that definition. With over 8 billion people who are alive in this world, no person who lacks the above has given birth to any of these people alive. If you feel the need in this episode to fact check that, please do so. I will be waiting for that episode. All right. Well, caller from the fucking nerd contingent calling in. I just want to say, got your ass. <laughs> well, one, I'm not going to play your fucking stupid bigot game at all. Uh, I was more, it's more an exercise in this jack jackassery is. They feel like they they've got, they're on the the winning ground. That that what about fallopian tubes? Well, what about women who don't have fallopian tubes? whether born through some uh, birth defect or through surgery and cancers and things that happen, women who were born who can't give birth. I mean, fuck off. Yeah, it's very strange to hear, like, this is the question that they keep asking, thinking it's a gotcha. And I guess my response to it would be, who gives a shit? I I don't care. Also, they never answer the question themselves. And and when asked, they have no answer. Well, they do answer it, and it's always centered on reproduction. Right. And, And so it does beg the question, like... Do the women that they believe are women because they can reproduce, do they stop being women when they go through menopause? Yeah. Do they stop being women when they get a hysterectomy? Yeah. I mean, what what is the line for or, you then if it comes down to reproduction? Or, or intersex, people who are born with both. I mean, it's it's not as cut and dry. They're trying to act like it is such a, an easy gotcha question when they themselves can't accurately fully define it they think they are but but it's it is just bigotry and this is all this is and then the if you're going to continue to call matt walsh a transphobic bigot is he not would he not say he is i mean on his twitter bio he calls himself like a religious fascist or some shit theocratic fascist theocratic fascist so fuck off with your nonsense you think you have a gotcha here you think that oh i'm gonna own him why don't you do a video about this why don't you start your own fucking youtube channel and you do one you weirdo bigot so there's also a lot of conservative women who are upset about the trans issue and i'm thinking of course of my favorite villain megan kelly and (laughs) She <laughs> she is like tweeting a lot and very threatened by trans people and like mm-hmm. very upset about it and I don't I don't understand it. There's even there was a notable progressive commentator that w- went viral because she was talking about how she doesn't want to be referred to as a person with a uterus or a birthing person or a person who menstruates and I don't care about any of this. Also, I mean, no one if you're talking about Anna Kasparian no one is personally to her face referring to her as a birthing person. That's just not happening. Yeah, I mean, I care about this issue in terms of I want equality. I want people to be treated with respect yes. and compassion. And I support progressive policies. I believe trans rights are human rights. I care about the issue 
insofar as those are my priorities, I don't care if someone, you know, refers to me as a birthing person. I'm not. I'm never going to have kids. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I'm never going to birth a child. Right, that right. that will not happen for me. But um, I, I don't care. It's not important to me. So I don't understand the people that are spending their days, Megyn Kelly, talking about uh, trans issues and how people identify and getting upset about it right. as though it's stealing something from you when, it, number one, it's not. But number two, Megan Kelly, her entire Twitter feed is obsessed with Dylan Mulvaney and, right. you know, these these different trans people that she's attacking. When Republicans, she has daughters, at least one. I think, you know, she has three kids. And she should be more concerned with Republicans like Matt Walsh that call themselves theocratic fascists right. who want to revoke reproductive rights from yeah. women. I mean, that should be something that she cares about he far wants more. To, he wants to be the one to decide. Matt Walsh himself. Yeah, and yeah. all of these other Ron DeSantis just signing a six-week ban on abortion before most women even know they're pregnant. I mean... These are the things that are actually damaging to people. Doctors are fleeing states where there are abortion bans and they're they're leaving maternal health care deserts. These people want to talk about how they care about uh, pregnant women. They care about the unborn. Well, there's doctors that are leaving that are not going to be able to treat pregnant women in states like Texas and Idaho. Mm-hmm. So I, these should be the priorities uh, for these conservatives, but it's not. And that tells you something about who they are, what their moral values are. It tells you something about this caller that he is spending time out of his day to call and and ask someone what is a woman instead of the regular attacks that are happening on the groups that he pretends to care about as a conservative i'm assuming since he loves matt Matt walsh uh which is the unborn and and pregnant people right yeah it is well it's also that was a little bit of a no listen it's also this It, it is this caller thinks that i'm assuming he is just a titan of intellectualism, yet he is such a fucking dum-dum that he's swept up in conservative um, culture war. Because that is what this is. What happened to the Republican Party of, of long ago where if it doesn't affect you, who fucking cares what they do? It was the same argument that was used uh, about gay marriage or or just gays in general back in the days. Does it impact your life? Does it take away your rights? No, it does not. So who fucking cares? Even if this dumbass is correct about the trans issue, and he's not, but even if he was, it doesn't impact your life. It doesn't take away your rights. Fuck off. Well, and Roy Wood Jr. actually had a good joke about this, too. He was talking about you know, conservatives being up in arms about drag shows and the threats to kids, the quote unquote threat to kids from drag shows. And he talked about it in terms of schools, like, oh, you're worried about drag queens in your schools because of the threat to kids. Well, don't worry, your kids are going to get shot at school anyway. Yeah. And it it, right. it led to, you know, a, a groan More in the groans. audience, right? But yeah. he's like, don't groan, do something. Yeah. You know? And again, when we're talking about priorities and things that people are worried about, this caller is spending all of their time worrying about things that don't matter and letting these serious, important issues just pass on by. Yeah. What? How? What answer would you have for this, Jesse? You continue to call Matt Walsh a, a transphobic bigot, but how about the fallopian tubes? <laughs> I gotcha. So on that note, on the note of more important things to be talking about, we got an email from Isaac, and Isaac writes, Hi guys, I just heard about two more incidents of gun violence that took place in Texas. Is there more gun violence recently or just more reporting? Regardless, I feel like there is nothing we can do to stop this giant gun violence snowball from speeding down the hill. It feels like it is not if, but when you or someone you love will be a victim. Thank you for your inspiring work. Brittany is the best part. Bye. Thank you, Isaac. Love the show. Brittany's the best part. Bye. So, so I don't know exactly the answer to the question. I know that we are, this year, We there's been an uptick, but it's not uh, a, a sizable uptick. It's, it's kind of just the norm that we have more mass shootings than there are days of the year every year. That's, that's how it works. I do think it's an indictment of the media, though, because... 
if, I mean, for us to really make progress on this, it needs to be in front of Americans every single time it happens. I think the media has a responsibility uh, to the country to report on every single one that happens. Because if, if America and Americans knew about the full extent of it, I mean, it's numbers, they get confusing. But if every day five mass shootings get reported on, People are going to wake up like, oh, holy shit, this, just saying there's more mass shootings than days of the year, eh, it's just, uh, it's words. But when you hear the details about this mass shooting, and then at two o'clock, this mass shooting, and then at six o'clock at night, this mass shooting, it seems to me people would wake up. I mean, I would hope. I, I, I don't know. But you have Greg Abbott governor of texas yeah uh tweeting after the the shooting in texas a picture of his dog looking very happy and he wrote all smiles for the weekend all smiles except for those dead kids yeah and i mean i i don't isaac wrote about two shootings i know about one yeah and there were reports that two women were found deceased over the bodies of two children that were alive Protecting and, them from the gunfire. Yeah. And from from the carnage of the weapon of war carried by the man, the AR-15 style weapon. Yeah. And I saw the the sheriff that was interviewed and he was talking about how this, this, the shooter was known for like shooting their weapon in the yard. Yeah. Or something. And yeah. I'm, I'm just listening to him talk like, what are you saying? This, this person was known for firing their AR-15 into the yard. And that was just like something that. Right, you allowed to happen, or that's something that's appropriate. I... Yeah, but but crime in in San Francisco is the problem. Crime in New York City is the problem. Yet people are firing weapons of war in their suburban neighborhood yards, and then when people complain about it, they go on a killing spree with that same weapon of war. Yeah, it's just fucking nonsense. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Isaac. For the email, we appreciate it very much. Um, I think we have one more. Yeah, we have another email from Jonathan in Southern California. And this email is a little long, so I am going to read certain parts of it. And so, Jonathan, you said apologies for the long email. You knew it was coming. Right. Okay. So, Jonathan writes... So by now, we already hear the news of President Biden running for re-election for a second term. I will be honest here. I am not looking forward for him running again, and my main reason is both his age and mental health. Yes, ageism is a dirty word and bias, but after what is happening with my California Senator Dianne Feinstein, who is several years older than Joe Biden, I am extremely worried. Okay, that was a little hyperbolic, but this is how I am currently contemplating. However, he is the more reasonable choice than Marianne Williamson, parenthetically crazy or lady I call her, and Robert F. Kennedy Jr., parenthetically why. Remarkably, as of writing this, he still has my vote until there is at least another candidate or candidates that has better or more progressive views than Joe Biden's progressive values. Back to President Biden. Yes, he has done what he has needed to be done in his first two years of office. So credit where credit is due in terms of his accomplishments. Nonetheless, he could have done more much more during his current first term, yet we clearly all know what is preventing any more of progressive policies into law is the Republicans in Congress. Dark Brandon needs to come out swing now. He is officially in campaign mode. Yeah, I'm, uh, one, certainly not bullish on on Marianne Williamson. I think she is a nut. She she has spoken um, some terrible ideas about clinical depression and mental health issues, she speaks nonsense platitudes about love changing the world and like what what does that even mean robert f kennedy is absolutely an unhinged anti-science anti-vaxxer um and joe biden while is not my first choice if he runs you know and it's donald trump i hate the rematch element of it but uh, we have somebody, hopefully, who will continue some of the progressive policies that have been attempted by him. Look, I don't consider Joe Biden a progressive, but he's certainly um, at the helm of a more progressive administration than than was um, President Obama. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, 
yeah, yeah, I don't know. You know, it's not it's not the most exciting thing, but politics shouldn't be a spectacle. This should be about picking someone the best qualified in the moment who's running to run the country and steer us clear of economic disaster, social disaster, international disaster. And I think, you know, of all the candidates running, it is Joe Biden right now. Well, and later in the email, Jonathan wrote about Jen Z's particular affinity for Marianne Williamson, I think, because of her popularity on TikTok. And (laughs) she, uh, she did make comments about clinical depression that were controversial in 2019 when she was on with Russell Brand and she called clinical depression a scam and when she was asked about these comments and attempted to walk them back and apologized she used the defense that she was probably trying to like impress Russell Brand (laughs) just what you want in a president of the United States of America you yeah, I mean, if you're trying to impress Russell Brand, I think we're in trouble. Uh, so let's... No. Well, she's also been anti-vax and agreed with people on her podcast that said that autism was a direct result of vaccines, all of which has been absolutely, unequivocally debunked. It, it, look, when people say, well, that was years ago, she was a full-grown, self-actuated woman. She, she's not like a teenager who like oh i grew up and i figured stuff out she's a full-grown person like come on yeah she's 70 years old so if she didn't get it figured out and she said these comments after andrew wakefield had already been we should maybe just do an episode on marianne williamson but this was after andrew wakefield the man who started the conspiracy theory lies it was after he had already been had his medical license revoked in great britain so it was long after that she was still talking about this lie yeah well people get very upset when you criticize marianne williamson and i think it's because it's coming from a good place because i I, I don't i don't think it's necessarily about her in particular i think that people progressives are desperate for a progressive leader who will step up and and challenge the status quo and so i think people see that in her in certain aspects and they're desperate for her to be the person who yeah. can step up and and do progressive things. But I just get, I, I think that we shouldn't be so desperate to accept anyone as that progressive person and that we can do better than someone like Marianne Williamson. Yeah, I also, and we can, I want to belabor it, but I think there's also a tendency to have a simplistic understanding of just how hard and complex the job of president is to do it well. I mean, Donald Trump, he was in there, and luckily he had people around him that had some acuity to understand what was going on. But Marianne, she's never been in government. She doesn't know what's going on. You think she's going to understand the nuances of, of, of getting legislation through and what that process is like and, and the budget? And it just, life is hard. It, and, and the office of the president of the United States is complex. And we need somebody who knows the ins and outs. So... We've had too many, you know, George W. Bushes and, and Donald Trumps. We need somebody who knows what's going on. So you might not think that's Joe Biden. That's fine. You know, I just don't happen to think that that's <laughs> Marianne Williamson. Anyway, thank you, Jonathan. We appreciate the email very much. Um, we're going to move on here. But before we do, I want to drop the phone number, 657 464 7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com. Democracy facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So one thing we've been covering a lot throughout past episodes is the tendency of the media, particularly conservative media like Fox News, to find any story about an unhoused person behaving badly and to make it a headline. And there was recently a situation in San Francisco where there was video footage of an unhoused man beating what turned out to be an ex-San Francisco fire commissioner with a metal pipe. And the unhoused person was arrested and charged. But now it's coming out that this wasn't an unprovoked attack by an out-of-control unhoused person. Oh, they're so dangerous. No, it turns out that there are 
at least eight separate incidents that are being linked to the ex-San Francisco fire commissioner that was beaten with the metal pipe, where he was going up to unhoused people while they were sleeping, in their tents. Unprovoked. Absolutely unprovoked. And using bear spray on them. Now, the the attorney that has come forward and they're they're saying that it's, you know, it's someone that looks like him on, on these videos. <laughs> right, right. It is happening within close proximity of where he lives. <laughs> it it doesn't look good for him. And apparently it, it doesn't feel good for him either because he didn't show up to court for this this attack on his person. The former fire commissioner, Don Carmignani, told our San Francisco station, KPIX, he's still recovering from the April 5th beating. They cracked my jaw from here all the way down. The man arrested, Garrett Doty, who is homeless, faces multiple charges, including assault with a deadly weapon and aggravated battery. But now, Doty's public defender says this newly released surveillance video from that same day shows Carmignani as the aggressor confronting Doty. The attorney says the video shows Carmignani pulling something out of his pocket that she alleges was bear spray. In addition to this video, she says police turned over video from an additional eight separate incidents in which a man resembling Carmignani approached unhoused people and attacked them with bear spray. On the same street that Mr. Carmignani lives, he sprays this bear spray at the homeless, not just passing by, but focusing on the victim's face. Carmignani's attorney says the man in those additional eight videos is not Carmignani, and regarding the April 5th video, he says in a statement, it does not appear to reflect any sort of bear slash pepper spraying. But in the KPIX interview Monday, Carmignani did admit using spray the day he was beaten. If I used the, 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 the spray as self-defense. The San Francisco District Attorney says more investigation into the new videos is needed. The public defender has asked for the charges against Doty to be dismissed, which could happen today if Carmignani fails to appear for a scheduled preliminary hearing. For CBS Mornings, Anna Werner, San Francisco. And he did. He failed to appear, yeah. and the um, the unhoused man was released from custody. So I think it's important to talk about these stories because we have to fight against the conservatives, the conservative media, Fox News, that are trying to paint the the world as this very dangerous place because of unhoused people. Yeah. And they're making it seem like places like San Francisco where this happened are just there's it's so unsafe there you can't even go outside you're going to be attacked yeah. by unhoused people they're dangerous they're using drugs they're mentally ill and all of this contributes to their violent behavior and you know we see stories like this we see stories like the gallery owner who was using a hose right. on an unhoused woman in front of the art gallery wasn't well, there like a tech executive who was stabbed and it was blamed on a homeless person in San Francisco and it turned out it was another tech ex- executive who stabbed him who got arrested allegedly Allegedly. Allegedly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> let's let's make allegedly. sure we get the uh, allegedly's in there. Allegedly. Allegedly? A fucking allegedly. As many as possible. I really, I love as many as possible in there. If they if they bring us to court and be like, well, look, they played five allegedly's. That's extra allegedly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's important because we talk, allegedly. we talk about it a lot in the aftermath of of mass shootings, for example, when politicians will try to blame mental illness for mass shootings. And, you know, you'll talk about people who have a mental health diagnosis being far more likely to be a victim of violence than to perpetuate violence. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And sometimes people push back on that. And I think it's because of the way that the media portrays poor people, unhoused people. And instead of seeing unhoused people as, hey, that could be me, we see them as other, we see them as dangerous. And partly that's the media and what stories they choose to cover. Well, a lot of times media is an outrage fear perpetuator. Um, And with conservative media especially, it's meant as a distraction because if they can say, oh, the violence is because of mental illness then they don't really have to do anything about like the gun problem or you know what i mean mm-hmm. so it's it is a distraction because if it's something else ah, i can't help with people being crazy that's what a conservative would say so that it just gets them off the hook of actually doing their job 
Yeah. I would also highly recommend, I read yesterday and and retweeted an article in the New York Times written by Mike Baker, and the title is Homeless in the City Where He Was Once Mayor. And it's about a man who used to be mayor of Bend, Oregon, and I'm not going to say too much about it because I don't, it's such a, it's a journey that you go on in the article and definitely stay until the very end, the last sentence, but it is a powerful reminder that things can go wrong in our lives and we can end up in places where we did not expect and did not plan for. And I mean, I think it's important to just inform our empathy, our compassion when we are encountering people that are unhoused and not seeing them as these violent, dangerous people, but as people that are desperate and have really been failed by our society. Yeah, they're just trying to get by like everybody else. It's just in a way that's unconventional to you if you have a house and a bedroom and blankets and everything else. Um, 657-464-7609. I doubt it at dollamore.com. Thank you for um, all the listener communication we get and uh, sounding off on these topics. Let's get back to Joe Biden, who, as we've mentioned, uh, is officially has has launched his campaign and is running for president of the United States once again in 2024. Tonight, President Biden asking Americans for another four years, making a pitch to union members in Washington. On my watch, infrastructure has become a decade headline. A decade. Earlier, announcing another campaign in this video. This is not a time to be complacent. That's why I'm running for re-election. Highlighting his views on abortion, voting, and LGBTQ rights, while zeroing in on Republican opponents, who he never mentions by name. Personal freedom is fundamental to who we are as Americans. We MAGA extremists are lining up to take on those bedrock freedoms. And touting this theme. Let's finish this job. I know we can. Still, our NBC News poll shows only 41% of Americans approve of the job President Biden is doing. 54% disapprove. The president's move setting up a possible rematch with former President Trump, posting this response. With such a calamitous and failed presidency, it is almost inconceivable that Biden would even think of running for re-election. 70% of Americans say they don't want President Biden to run for re-election, including most Democrats. But 60% of Americans say they don't want Mr. Trump to run again either. Today in Battleground, Pennsylvania, the critical Philly suburbs, we found voters like small business owner Dora Rietta exasperated by the possibility of another Biden-Trump showdown. What do you make of that rematch? A mess. A mess. Why? I think they both are very extreme, and I think we need someone that's kind of in the middle. Cafe owner Christine Hicks strongly supports President Biden because she says he'll protect abortion rights. For my granddaughter, I want her to have choice, and it is upsetting to know that she has less choices now than we did. But she's less supportive of Vice President Kamala Harris, who's featured prominently in today's video. I don't think I would vote for Kamala if she was running for president, but she's, you know... She supports him, and I think it's a good thing. Independent Larry Largest, a painter, is frustrated by high inflation. Are you satisfied with the economy these days? No, really not. Prices are going up, rent's going up, food's going up, my wages aren't going up. And echoing what polls say many are concerned about, President Biden's age. He'd be 86 at the end of a second term. I think he's getting a little long in the tooth. He's getting a little bit old, you know, and I have some concerns on his mental faculties. But retired truck driver Mike Lowry tells us, He's not worried. I'm 72 years old. You look good. There you go. (laughs) I rest my case. Joe looks good. He looks good for an 80-year-old man. So, Peter, we're not seeing the president out on the trail after this announcement. Lester Biden aides tell us he's unlikely to hold campaign rallies for months. Instead, he wants to be seen focusing on his job as president. So I'm... I'm not thrilled about this either, and I think that we are both on record having said that we would have preferred that someone else run. Sure. But this is the situation that we are in, and... Uh, Time to deal with reality on reality's terms. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's frustrating when I hear the media talk to people and do these man-on-the-street interviews because you listen to people who I think aren't 
actively involved in politics, aren't actively following things, who say, yeah, I'm really frustrated with inflation inflation and how expensive everything is and my wages aren't going up. And then they use that to explain like their frustration with President Biden and why they may be voting for an alternative. <laughs> and it, the alternative is uh, fascism. And right. the alternative is revoking rights for vulnerable communities. And the alternative is far worse. And yes, things have not happened fast enough. There are not enough progressive policies in place. Biden has not been progressive enough. I totally agree with that. Yeah. But do you think you're going to convince Donald Trump to be progressive? Do you think you're going to convince Ron DeSantis to do something about your wages? Like th- That's really what needs to be centered in this conversation is who are we going to be able to move the needle with in in the office yeah and if these voters think that it's going to be donald trump or it's going to be ron DeSantis, it's well, not especially if your concern is your wages do you think donald trump or just the republican party in general is here for you do you think they are the ones who are trying to secure higher wages No, they're here for tax cuts for corporations, higher profits for corporations, which absolutely in no way and never has equaled higher wages. They they don't turn around. That that is just another, the fallacy of trickle-down economics, which has been proven time and time and time and time and time and time and time again to not be uh, an accurate depiction of reality. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, again, this is where we are. Joe Biden's running. Um, you can do what you're going to do in the primaries, I guess, but don't put us in another situation where we end up with a Donald Trump who will very likely get more Supreme Court picks and will be in a more untenable situation relative to people's rights and the continuation of their very lives. It's a big deal. Um. On that note, Joe Biden is talking now because there's a lot of talk about, well, can he beat Donald Trump? You know, uh, there's both of them have uh, disapproval ratings that are high or approval ratings that are low. And uh, Joe Biden's convinced, uh, as I, that he can beat Donald Trump. You recently launched your reelection campaign. You've said questions about your age are legitimate. And your response is always, just watch me. But the country is watching. And recent polling shows that 70% of Americans, including a majority of Democrats, believe you shouldn't run again. What do you say to them? What do you say to those Americans who are watching and aren't convinced? You've said you can beat Trump again. Do you think you're the only one? I may not be the only one, but uh, uh, I know him well, and I know the danger he presents to our democracy. And we've been down this road before. And with regard to, uh, to age, you know, and, and polling data, I noticed the polling data I keep hearing about is that I'm between uh, uh, 42 and 46 percent favorable rating, et cetera. And, uh, but everybody running for re-election in this time has been in the same position. There's nothing new about that. We're making it sound like Biden's really underwater. Um, and uh, number one. Number two, when the same polling data asks whether they think what kind of job I've done, it gets overwhelmingly positive results from 58% thinking everything from the CHIPS Act and uh, all the things we've done. You know, we've created, like I said, we've created 12 million new jobs. We've created 800,000 manufacturing jobs. We have economic growth moving. We're in a situation where the climate, we've invested more money and more help in dealing with the climate crisis than any nation in the world. And so things things are moving. And uh, the reason I'm running again is there's a job to finish. The other thing is that, look, you know, think about what I inherited when I got elected. I inherited a, a nation in overwhelming debt at the time, number one, in the hole for the four years that he was president. I inherited a nation that had a serious loss of credibility around the world as America first. And, you know, the first meeting I attended the G7, I said, America's back. And one of the world leaders looked and said, for how long? For how long? There's a great concern about the United States being able to lead the free world. And we're doing that again. 
And those same polls you look at, you take a look at the polls, they're saying whether I pull together NATO and the European Union as well as Asian partners, I think we have. But there's more to do. And uh, with regard to age, uh, I can't even say, I guess how old I am, I can't even say the number. It doesn't, it doesn't register with me. And, uh, but the only thing I can say is that um, one of the things that people are going to find out, they're going to see a race, and they're going to judge whether or not I have it or don't have it. I respect them taking a hard look at it. I take a hard look at it as well. I took a hard look at it before I decided to run. And, uh, and I feel good. I feel excited about the prospects. And I think we're on the verge of really turning the corner in a way we haven't in a long time. I know you're tired of hearing me say we're at an inflection point. Well, we really are. What happens in the next two, three, four years is going to determine what the next three, four decades look like. And I have never been more optimistic in my life about the possibilities of the United States. So, I mean, like... Like I said, and I think this is going to be a balancing act during the the campaigning because, you know, it's not ideal for me. It's not ideal. Right. But I know what the alternative is, and there's... And that's dangerous. Yeah, I don't know who else is going to be throwing their hat in the ring for the Democratic primary here. It doesn't seem like anyone is. It seems like the party is largely recognizing that the path forward is Joe Biden, and they're all kind of rallying behind him. I know Bernie Sanders, before Joe Biden announced that he was running for re-election, he was often asked on the Sunday shows during his appearances, is he going to is he going to run again? And he would always say that that he was supportive of Joe Biden yeah. and, you know, ha- hasn't made a decision, whatever. So I just, I don't, I'm not hearing that there's other alternatives that are going to be throwing their, their hat in the ring. And even though it's not ideal and we are still going to have criticism for Joe Biden, it's not like we're going to stop criticizing him. And I think it's important to do that. But I think the balancing act is going to come with criticizing him, but not so much that people start saying that they're not going to ultimately vote for him over Donald Trump. Right. So here's here's what people are talking about relative to his election and his chances that he has a low approval rating. And uh, but so does Donald Trump. And if they, they act like these numbers never change. And then the other thing is, is that once it's a binary choice, once we've gone through the primary and it's Donald Trump versus Joe Biden, if that's what it ends up being, it's a binary choice. Donald Trump is going to be Donald Trump and people are going to have a choice to choose the maniac or the, the time tested the guy that you know what to expect and i i just don't see uh donald trump coming out victorious now it doesn't mean he doesn't have a chance absolutely the 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 vote totals were very narrow in several of the states that ended up going biden's way and that could change there's a lot of maniacs out there who believe that the insurrection was a tourist event so it's not a, a foregone conclusion that biden would win and we need to stay active and in the fight relative to this this upcoming election it's very important absolutely uh we'd love to hear from you about these or any other topic 657-464-7609 of course you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to i doubt it at dollamore.com taking care of biz Amanda Zaroski. Amanda Zaroski. Yes, and I hope I am pronouncing her name correctly. She is one of five women suing the state of Texas over its restrictive abortion laws. She uh, was denied an abortion after she had pregnancy complications. I think 18 weeks into her pregnancy, her water broke, Mm. uh, putting her at high risk for a life-threatening infection. And in her attempt to get care... She faced several different hurdles that were life-threatening, and she gave testimony before Congress, and it was really powerful, and we're going to play two pieces of that because I think it's really important that people hear her story from her. My doctors didn't feel safe enough to intervene as long as her heart was beating or until I was sick enough for the ethics board at the hospital to consider my life at risk. I shouldn't have had to wait in anguish for days for the inescapable ill fate that awaited. 
But this was August 2022 in the state of Texas, where abortion is illegal unless the pregnant person is facing a life-threatening physical condition aggravated by, caused by, or arising from a pregnancy. People have asked why we didn't travel to a state where the laws aren't so restrictive. But we live in the middle of Texas, and the nearest sanctuary state is at least an eight-hour drive. Developing sepsis, a condition that can kill in under an hour, in a car in the middle of the West Texas desert, or on an airplane, is a death sentence. And it's not a choice we should have even had to consider in the first place. So all we could do was wait. I cannot adequately put into words the trauma and despair that comes with waiting to either lose your own life, your child's, or both. For days, I was locked in this bizarre and avoidable hell. Would Willow's heart stop, or would I deteriorate to the brink of death? The answer arrived three long days later. In a matter of minutes, I went from being physically healthy to developing a raging fever and dangerously low blood pressure. My husband rushed me to the hospital where we soon learned I was in septic shock, made evident by my violent teeth chattering and incapacity to even respond to questions. Several, several hours later, after stabilizing just enough to deliver our stillborn daughter, my vitals crashed again. In the middle of the night, I was rapidly transferred to the ICU where I would stay for three days as medical professionals battled to save my life. What I needed was an abortion, a standard medical procedure. An abortion would have prevented the unnecessary harm and suffering that I endured. Not only the psychological trauma that came with three days of waiting, but the physical harm my body suffered, the extent of which is still being determined. It's just horrifying because this is a reality facing, I mean, women across the country. and This was avoidable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And Republicans during this committee hearing tried various tactics to ignore the reality of the situation, including acting like the doctors that she encountered misinterpreted the law and that they're sorry that her doctor misinterpreted the law. Right. And again, they're trying anything they can to avoid having to take responsibility for what they've done and the consequences of what they've done. And what they want to continue to do. This is the policy prescription on the part of the Republican Party. This is what they want. This is the world, the country that they want to live in, that they want to force women into. And then they don't want to take responsibility for it when it comes time to answer. And some Republicans were so fearful of taking responsibility that they didn't even show up. Of course. And I wanted to address my senators, Cruz and Cornyn, who uh, neither of whom regrettably are in the room right now. But I would like for them to know that what happened to me, I think most people in this room would agree, was horrific. But it's a direct result of the policies that they support. I nearly died on their watch. And furthermore, as a result of what happened to me, I may have been robbed of the opportunity to have children in the future. And it's because of the policies that they support. What happened to me was horrible, but I am one of many. And quite frankly, I'm lucky. I'm lucky that I have a husband that could take me to the hospital. I don't have other children that I had to worry about finding health care for. I have a job that was understanding that allowed me to grieve for three days as I waited to almost die. What about all of the women that don't have those same opportunities, that don't have access to health care, that don't have health insurance, that don't have a partner? What about them? I think it's so important to highlight all of that, too. Yeah. All of the people who are out there in situations where they, they don't have a choice. They can't travel. They don't have the funds. They don't have the support. They don't have the infrastructure in their lives to be able to afford them the opportunity to get out, get help. And that means they'll die. And there's probably more of them than there are of, of, of uh, Amanda here. Like, it's very common to not have the resources to be able to travel out of state, to, to have the eight hours drive ahead of you and be able to make that. I mean, it's th this is a dystopian type of country and policy that wants to, that, that the Republicans want to make a reality, and they are making it a reality all across the country. I mean, Idaho right now is just a fucking hellscape for a woman who's being told by white men how to how to 
they want to make her the, the you have to have a baby it's forced birth it is insane all based on their particular flavor of religion so as we rapidly approach the 2024 election these are the kinds of things that we want to keep in mind yeah regardless of how unhappy you are disappointed whatever you might be feeling these are the things to keep in mind because if you decide to bow out like ah, i'm not going to vote this time think of amanda think of the millions of amandas that if you vote for a for if you don't vote or if you end up voting for donald trump there are real life consequences that might not befall you but they will befall someone and it is important joe biden might not be perfect he's absolutely not perfect but right now he is the best we've got the best shot we have at a normal decent empathetic country that takes care of vulnerable populations again we'd love to hear from you thanks for joining us 657-464-7609 of course you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to i doubt it at dollamore.com. One more time, we'd like to invite you to become a patron on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash I doubt it podcast. There you can pick your tier, help produce the show, uh, join the Patreon family. We'd love to have you. And we will see you next time. We love you guys. Thanks for all that you do, your loyalty. The community that is built up around this show is just fantastic. We feel it and we love you guys. We'll see you next time. Until we do, for Brittany Page. I'm Jesse Dollimore, and this has been I Doubt.